Welcome to Talking Business Now. I'm your host, Kelly Scanlon. Thank you for joining us. What am I meant to do with my life? What is my destiny? And how am I going to get there? These are questions that many people grapple with at various points in their life. For entrepreneurs, the questions are even more persistent, and they are major questions that our guest today, entrepreneur Frank Fumi, answers in his new book, Running With My Head Down, an entrepreneur's story of passion, perseverance, and purpose. It's a motivational memoir that reveals the secrets to finding your life mission. In this episode of Talking Business Now, we'll be talking with Frank about how his boyhood fascination with baseball while living in a tenement apartment in Queens led him to create an adult softball league that became a national youth sports franchise called I-9 Sports. It generated more than $300 million in sales with 2 million participants in 900 communities across 30 states. But in addition to the successes, he encountered many defeats. Frank talks with us about all those today and addresses how, in many ways, he learned to overcome success. Welcome to the show today, Frank. Thank you, Hillary. Thanks for having me on the show. Congratulations on the new book. I understand it's your debut book, and it's getting quite a lot of acclaim. Your message is really hitting home, it sounds like. It is. I am totally shocked. I don't think of myself as an author. I'm a business guy. I wanted to write this book because I wanted to demystify success. And so many entrepreneurs like myself, we, we suffer in silence so many ways. My business has been had so many ups and downs, and I feel like it would have all been a waste had I not captured it and wrote it in a book. So to be the number one new release on Amazon for a small business franchise and sports industry, I'm, I'm totally blown away and so grateful for the response. I gave a very brief recap of your journey. It's a fascinating one, and I know your book goes into a lot more detail about it and that you'll be filling in some of those details as we talk about some of your lessons learned today. Let's elaborate on why you wrote the book in the first place. The number one reason why I wrote the book is because when I was starting out in business and I was in school, I was kind of wondering, like, what am I going to do with my life? And I always felt like people that were successful, it was some sort of secret. There was a secret to success that I wasn't privy to. And when I came to find out is there are some basic business principles that you need to follow and that I seem to have not only learned from others, but persevere through a lot of pain, through a lot of ups and downs. And I want to prove to people that you don't have to come from money. You don't have to have the contacts. You don't even have to have the know-how to find your way to being successful and achieving your goals in life. And that, that was really the premise behind this. Let's go through some of your lessons learned. One of the biggest traps that come with business ownership, and I've seen it over and over with the entrepreneurs that I've worked with over the years, the entrepreneur identity crisis. Talk to us about what that is, why it can be so debilitating, and how did you personally deal with it? Every entrepreneur that I know, when we found a business, we end up breathing, eating, drinking, sleeping that business, right? And mm -hmm. we want it to succeed. So we're willing to do whatever it takes. We'll work night and day, day and night to get this thing going. And slowly but surely, because we are living with that business so intimately, that us and the business become one and the same. You become so intertwined with this business and becomes, becomes your identity. The big issue with that is if you are more than your, just your business, you are more than your business before it started, right? And more so, the big issue is that when your business has 
lousy days, which it inevitably will have, you're going to have lousy days and your mood should not be completely persuaded by what's going on in your business. So, yeah, it's great when things are going well, but when you have this identity crisis and you're so intertwined with your business, it can cause great damage to not just your business, but to your overall life as your life balance becomes out of whack. And you have to have this realization that your business is bigger than you. And if you love it so much, you give it what it needs. And sometimes or eventually it means giving it what it needs, which is besides you, you have to get out of your own way. In your case, what opened your eyes to the fact that your identity had become so tied up in your business? And what did you do once you had that awareness, which can be very hard to achieve, by the way, once you had that awareness, what did you do to pull yourself back from that? Well, it was a huge awakening. I had, I was at the point where this is in 2008, my business had grown quite a bit. We were quote unquote successful as a franchise organization. Probably by then, oh, we had just eclipsed our 100th franchise, which is great achievement because less than 20% of all franchise companies even hit 100 locations. So I was so proud of the results, but our organization hierarchy chart was flat. So in other words, it was me and then it was everybody else. I didn't have other leaders in the organization, other executives. So I was the CEO, our CEO, president. I was the one running technology. I was the person leading the marketing campaigns. Even though I had people in those tasks, I didn't necessarily have the leadership roles well-defined or the right people in there. There was one day I was reading an actual franchise journal, and I came across an article of a fellow CEO in franchising who had just hired a COO president. And I called him up. I didn't know him. I called him up, and I said, hey, Brian, I was like, I just saw that you hired a CEO president. Look, I'm in this, in this boat, in this same boat, I kind of feel like, but like, when do you even hire somebody in that leadership position? When do I know I'm ready? And he said, Frank, you will know the day that that business becomes bigger than you is the day that you're ready to make that change and the day that you're ready to hire somebody. And in, in, uh, more specifically, hiring somebody for your weakness, not for your strengths, to complement your weakness so that you get out of your own way. So Kelly, I had this, that huge awakening was like, wait a minute. I love this company so much. I need to get out of my own way. I need to hire for my weakness. And I made that hire. I hired a COO president who today, Brian, is a, a different Brian, but Brian Sanders, he's the C, CEO and chairman now of our company, I9 Sports. And the company absolutely took off after I was willing to get out of my own way. It's almost like when you can achieve a point of misery with your business that you suddenly realize you can't go on any longer with the status quo and you've got to ask for help, which is something that is very difficult for an entrepreneur to do. Yeah, it's not a weakness. That's what we all do when we start out with our business. Like, I can do that. I can do it. No, you can't. <laughs> you can't do that because there's not a single entrepreneur that I know that has risen all the way to the top, got to the top of the mountain on their own. Everybody needs people. Uh, the great example that I think of in today that's achieving success in different businesses is Elon Musk. Elon Musk, right, he's this crazy visionary, and we, we see what Elon does, but while he is the visionary, he, more than anybody else, needs people around him that complement his weaknesses and our systems and processes and put them in place. Otherwise, you know, Tesla and SpaceX and all those other companies he's, he's been involved in would not be where they are today without people. 
Let's stay with that being at the top. It's often lonely at the top. And you address that in your book as well about trying to maintain a relationship with those employees that you depend so much on, but being able to do that without losing your authority and getting their respect for the times when maybe you can't be a totally open book. Talk with us about how you dealt with that. Oh my gosh, Kelly, I wish that somebody had taught me (laughs) some of these rules about business that were going to happen as a result of growth that nobody ever talked about. So what happened with my company, like so many others, you're the founder, you're starting out, you start out with one employee, then you have three, then you have 10. And before you know it, those 10 or dozen or so employees in your office, they've been involved in every decision of your company, right? And you have these open meetings and you're super transparent because when you have one or two employees or a half dozen, you're open, you're an open book and you want to be inclusive. But there is a time where that starts to change, where I'll give an example where let's say you have somebody in marketing in your company and they do all the marketing tasks, but they don't have that skill set to be a director of marketing. Well, if you came into the came into the office one day and you had your employees at the conference room and you said right in front of this marketing person, guys, I have an idea. We're going to hire a director of marketing. How do you think that marketing person is going to feel, right? That you're hiring somebody over their head. Very threatened, probably. So what happens in our business is we get to the point where we can't tell everybody everything we're thinking because it's going to affect their jobs, it's going to impact their lives. So that happened to me where I started realizing I can't be as transparent because I am impacting so many people, but these are important decisions that need to be made for my company. It really hit home for me when we we sold our 100th franchise and I took all the employees and their spouses to a great steakhouse here in Tampa, a well-known restaurant, and we started sitting down in a private room and we had different tables and everybody started going to the other tables except for where my wife and I were sitting. And I thought, Oh. oh my gosh, like, People were, I mean, I had a great relationship with the people, but I was no longer one of the guys. They were avoiding me, and they were avoiding me partially because I was starting to become more and more secluded. And this lonely-at-the-top syndrome, if you want to grow your company, you need to be mindful. I found several ways on how to cure that or come up with a solution. What are some of those? Okay, well, the number one solution that I found is hiring for my weakness. So bring somebody on that's going to take some of the burden off of me, right? The second thing that I did though is when you're an entrepreneur of a vastly growing company, you need to surround yourself with peers, like-minded peers. I went ahead and I joined EO, Entrepreneurs Organization. There's YPO. There, and if, if your company is not at that level yet, you can join local uh, entrepreneur Facebook groups, Chamber of Commerce groups, Rotary Club, or go to a seminar, an event like a Tony Robbins program, which I'm a big believer in. But I started surrounding myself with like-minded peers so that I could have the freedom and openness to share ideas and get new ideas from people who were not in my industry, which I found is incredibly valuable, is to be around people who are not in your industry because it opens you up to new things. They can see things from a different perspective. Yeah, right. We, they don't have the same blind spot that you have. And the, the third thing I would do about that lonely at the top is establish still a relationship with your employees where there is open communication. You are 
they have to continue to believe in the vision. And that means that you're sharing with them as much as you can. And you're believing in what they do and absolutely appreciating them, having gratitude and making sure that they are as inclusive in the process, such as like strategy meetings. I had the entire company in our strategy meetings. And that has, that has paid dividends because the ideas that came from people that crossed the department has been incredible. So those are three big things that I would suggest to anybody experiencing that lonely at the top. And a lot of these that we're talking about today go hand in hand. For example, this next one that you talk about in your book, the executive burnout phase, uh, sometimes that's fueled by the fact that your identity is tied up in your business and that you, you, know, you are lonely at the top and, and you are trying to do everything. So for me, burnout started to rear its ugly head when mm-hmm. I would take an, an extra day on a week, I would take a Monday off and I wasn't super excited about coming back to the office or I would take an extra week vacation and thinking it's going to recharge my battery and it did not recharge my battery. I started dreading mm-hmm. coming in. Here's the part that was driving me up a wall, Kelly, was that I love my company, Online Sports, with all my heart. And I was starting to feel guilty that despite loving this company so much, I didn't want to be there every day. And I was starting to experience this burnout. Now, burnout happens anytime your results are not meeting your expectations over a long period of time. It's a little different when you're first starting your business out because you can withstand it because you expect to not get results right away. But it's over that longer, that longer period of time where you start being burned out, you're not taking time away. It's at that point that some of those symptoms like we talked about earlier of identity crisis, lonely at the top, where that's part of burnout. So what I have found is got to get your life back into balance. We always hear so much about, you know, balancing family life and your work. To me, it's more than that, too. That's a huge part of it. But balancing, creating space for you within your life to making sure that your physical well-being is taken care of, your spiritual well-being is taken care of, and your emotional well-being. You have to make sure that you have all those different parts of your life. If you think of each one of those things as a piece of pie, <laughs> of a wheel, of a spoke on a wheel maybe, you can't wheel that, ro- that wheel down the road if it's out of whack and if, those, if it's not well-rounded. I, I would highly recommend to people, like I did for myself, where I took that step back and said, if I really love my business and I really want to have a happy family life and I want to be healthy because I want to be here for my kids for the long term, I need to figure this thing out and I need to take care of my overall well-being. It's uh, amazing how you can get so burnt out doing something that you love, but after a point, you just you just can't go on. I know one entrepreneur that I've talked to many times who said that every day, and she still does it, every day, she gets the key out of her pocket and puts it in the door, and she asks herself before she turns the lock, do I want to go to work today? Am I happy doing this? And she goes, the day that I can't say yes to that, there's going to be major changes happening. I thought that was a good practice, and, and I love telling that story. And that happened exactly to me. In fact, there's a Steve Jobs quote that's very similar to that, where he said, when too many days in a row that I don't love what I'm doing, that's when I need to make a change. I'm kind of paraphrasing Steve Jobs' quote. When I heard that quote, it resonated with me because in 2015, despite loving my company, I was feeling an incredible amount of guilt that I think my vision for the business is complete, but I'm so scared to death to utter the words, I think it's time for me to leave because I was believing so much that my business not only was my identity, but I believed it was my purpose in life. So it was like the biggest possible. I made it so big and so 
scary that because I thought my business was my purpose in life, the thought of being wanting to exit was scary because it was utter darkness on the other side. Like, what am I going to do? And I went to a Tony Robbins business mastery and Tony said these words. He said, success without fulfillment is ultimate failure. Mm, and then he, powerful. and then he, wow. Right. I was stunned by that. And then he said, look guys, if you don't absolutely have passion for what you do, you owe it to yourself and you owe it to your company to get out. And that Kelly is what struck me because remember I loved my company so much. And when he said the words hurting my company, that's like hurting my baby. Like I would never mm-hmm. want to hurt one of my kids. Now I'm hurting right. my business by sticking around. It was after that, that I released the guilt and said, you know what? It is time for me to move on. Despite loving the company, I've taken it as far as I can go. And it's time for me to move on. And it took about about a year or so, year and a half, but I ended up inevitably selling the majority interest in my company. And now, even today, I'm a minority shareholder. I'm on the board of directors. And I love being around the company when I want to be around the company. It's like I'm right. my grandpa. I get to see the kids, play with them, and then give them back to the parents. That, it's that freedom that I needed. And that really leads us into the next point, which is affluenza. It's about feeling that same ambition and hunger that you did when you first started it. And I bet after releasing the majority ownership, you were able to recapture some of that. You're absolutely right. Because remember what got, well, what got me to where I needed to in that company level of success and what got every entrepreneur to reaching a level of success was hunger. That's the number one trait I have found of most successful people. Again, being in franchising, I've been around hundreds of entrepreneurs, so not just my example, but I've been around hundreds of other entrepreneurs, and it's the people that are hungry that succeed. So once I started not feeling as hungry and I started feeling this affluenza, it scared the life out of me. Like, why am I just not as hungry anymore? Now, for me, here's why it happened. Because I started building a team, a management team around me, and I was no longer needed. And when I was no longer needed, I started to feel really sad. Like, I achieved what you aspire to, right? And that's hiring great people. But I hired great people, and I there was no place for me anymore in the company. And I was hurt. <laughs> I felt hurt by right, it. Right, your like, purpose my, is gone. <laughs> my, yeah, like my purpose. And that's where if you're an entrepreneur listening to this and you're holding your company back because you need to keep that your place or your value, I'm telling you that you're hurting your business. If this, you truly love your company, give it what it needs. Get out of your own way, hire a great team, and trust me that your life purpose is not just this business, it's a series of missions. You will find the next thing. And that's how like my whole book came into play. I had no aspirations to write a book until I had gone through all these experiences. And I realized that I-9 Sports was not my sole purpose in life. It was just one mission of a series of. You've given some very good advice on things that I know if if you haven't if you're an entrepreneur and you haven't felt any of these things yet, you will. And so just just know. So you've given some very good advice about what to look for and how to overcome some of these issues. Let's talk a little bit about crisis, how to handle internal company crises. And I know that your company went through some. I mean, it achieved great success, but it also had its periods where things were kind of dark. Let's talk about those and how you handled those. Okay, well, I was, gosh, there's so many crises that I had gone through, right? There were so many ups and downs. Probably the first one that really sticks in my mind was within three years of the launch of my company, we had lost a cumulative amount of $850,000. And 
that was scary, of course. Um, my wife and I were down to our last $50,000 to our name. There was literally nothing left. But because our backs were to the wall, we knew that the right thing to do was we needed to get outside help. And by getting outside help, I had found a franchise consultant that was a, like a turnaround specialist. He offered to help us out at a price of $35,000. You, <laughs> you can only imagine the look on Nadine and I on our faces after we heard that we went to dinner with this guy. And we drove home thinking, this is it. Like, honey, like we have nothing left after this. Do we take a chance? And our mantra that we always live by and we've continued to live by for 25 years now together is that we live our life with absolutely no regrets. That means we do what's right, even if it's scary, but we never want to would have, could have, should have. Fortunately, I'm talking to you now today because we did turn the company around. In fact, it made $300,000 the very next year because it was basic things that I was missing, blocking and tackling, better training, better support. I needed to clear out some of that staff that I had. Those employees that I had early on were not, they were nice people, but did not have the right skill set. And I had that blind spot. So that was the first huge crisis. But along the way, the only way your company grows is generally you have a crisis that's blocking you. Once you get past it, you get to grow until another crisis happens. I had an employee who was with me for four months as a salesman, did not sell a single franchise, asked me for an advance. I told him no. And the other salespeople were selling franchises like crazy. And all of a sudden he quit only to start a competing business, stole the operations manual, stole the manual, started a competing business. These things happen, you know, having espionage, dealing with bad publicity. What those all those things have in common is that you can't take it personal. You have to realize that people don't, people are not trying to do things specifically to hurt you. But if I'm in the way of what they're trying to achieve, then, you know, things can happen like an espionage or a bad PR crisis that can happen to any growing company. I like to say the example of, you know, when, when there's a crisis occurs, I always like to say, look, these are great quality problems. That means my company is growing because if you're either growing or you're dying, right? And problems, exactly. are, going to, problems are going to occur and getting, having bad press. I heard this quote, I thought it was a great quote. It really resonated with me. And that was getting bad publicity at times or a complaint is the tax you pay. For being successful. One of the things for getting through those crises that I heard you say earlier was you surrounded yourself with people that you could talk with. You had mentors, you were in the EO group. And so when you have those crises, you're not alone. You are, I mean, ultimately you have to make the decisions and you have to go through it, but you've got a network, you've got support, a support system that can help you through it. And that can help at least on the personal toll that it can take sometimes. The number one support system, though, that everybody needs is support at home. So I truly give my wife so much credit. She did not work in I-9 Sports, in the company, but trust me, she, she was with me every step of the way, believed in the vision of my company every step of the way. I've seen entrepreneurs where the spouse does not believe in the company, and the reason why that becomes so dangerous is because when you have your inevitable bad day, you come home, you complain about your issues, and your spouse says, I told you so. I told you this was going to happen, and they throw it in your face. And then they say, look what this company is losing money. I don't want you to spend another money on another dollar on marketing. 
because we're losing money already. Once you go into that tailspin, once your spouse, if you're listening to this and your spouse is already saying this, that tailspin is already out of control. It is time to either move on in your business or time to get your spouse back into believing the vision of the company and turning that ship around where you two are a team. My wife and I have always been a team. That is really the secret to our success. A lot of what you talk about takes some maturity, really. Maturity as a business owner, maturity just in general as a person too, to have the self-awareness to recognize that you're in the business's way or I can't talk to my employees anymore because we've grown to such a level so I need to seek an outside support system or whatever it may be. It takes self-awareness and you talk about in your book your spiritual awakening, awakening, and there, there actually a moment. Tell us about that. Oh my gosh! So it was the point of time where I was just about to getting past selling the selling the business. I wasn't there yet. I was almost. I was in the process of it, and I went to a resort called the Miraval Resort in Tucson, Arizona. I didn't know what to expect. My wife and daughter had been there, and I knew it being quite a spiritual place. I mean, you can go there if you just want to go for a massage and, you know, do a team building stuff and everything, but they have some really interesting classes and some really fascinating people. I went through this session with this spiritual healer where I started really recounting a lot of my experience. It was not, it wasn't hypnosis, but it was sort of a hypnotic experience. And it, it hit me, Kelly, that these words, this is the words that came to me, and I wrote this in the book, is that the war is over. And I realized that for decades, I had been dealing with self-rejection, shame, not believing in myself at times. I had so many limiting beliefs and not fearing or the fear of not being good enough or the fear of not being loved are the two greatest fears that all humans have. And it was at that point where I had this realization, like, where I just need to let everything go. Like the war is over. I was having a war with myself is what it was. It was the most freeing feeling. Again, it really was a spiritual awakening for me. And I'm a guy who hasn't been to any of these spiritual retreats or anything. So, uh, but I was open to it. It changed my life forever. It reminds me of the old adage about winning the battles, but not winning the war. And up to that point, you had won many battles as you had guided your business through its growth and a lot of skirmishes that you described earlier, but you had won the war until that moment when you you finally had that awakening. Gosh, you're so right. I had a lot of wounds from a lot of battles, but it, it was, if you think about it, what did it all come down to? came down to me, right? The war is over. It was about my own self-rejection, about my own fears. And that's what we all go through as entrepreneurs and just people in general, whether you own a business or you're in a career. It's our own limiting beliefs that hold us back from taking that next step. It's fear of failure, fear, fear of success, uh, fear of not being good enough. All those things weigh, can weigh heavy, uh, heavier and heavier on you until you let it go. If you had to leave our listeners with one thing today, I mean, we've talked about a lot of things, but if you had to sum it up and leave them with one thought that could carry them forward, what would it be? Well, I said, like I said earlier, my wife and I have been happily married. We've had our ups and downs, but we have been happily married for 25 years, and we have that one mantra that I share in my book, and I want everybody to consider. Live your life with absolutely no regrets. You don't want to look back on your life and say, would have, could have, should have. And that means 
do what is right, even if it's scary, then do it scary. But I want everybody to do truly what they're here for. No one was here for a plan B, for a backup plan. Live your dreams and absolutely go for it. Great advice. And there's a lot more advice in your book. Where can we get a copy of the book? Uh, Running With My Head Down is available on Amazon. And it is also available right now at all bookstores, uh, airport bookstores nationwide, Amazon. And you can also find me on my website, frankfiume.com. And I'm also available on all the social media channels as well. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, Kelly. Thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. Best of luck. And I'm your host, Kelly Scanlon. I appreciate you tuning in to this episode of Talking Business Now. If you'd like to suggest podcast guests or topics, or to subscribe to the Talking Business Now newsletter or podcast, please visit my website at interrobangsolutions.com. That's I-N-T-E-R-R-O-B-A-N-G solutions.com. Interrobangsolutions.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.